And I want us as Christians to be a demonstration of the gospel message. And so I'm bringing this message to you to really just try to exploit your liberty that is in Jesus Christ, if I can. There's a phrase in these scriptures that we're going to read, and it's called, Be of Good Cheer. And that's the title of this message, Be of Good Cheer. And it's really interesting when Evan gave that word tonight, because he talked about, on behalf of God, he spoke a word from the Lord, and he talked about being confident. And that's actually what the word cheer means. It means to be confident. Now, when I would read this in John 16, I would think be of good cheer means to be happy and, you know, just abundant with joy. But it actually means to be confident and it means to be courageous. And, and I was thinking about how the joy of the Lord is our strength. And even the announcement of the angels, when they came to announce the birth of Jesus Christ, they said, peace on earth and goodwill towards men. It was a happy announcement. It wasn't an, an oppressive announcement. It wasn't like, man, this horrible person has been born and he's going to bring all of you into such horrific bondage. But no, a savior has been born to us and he's going to set us free from our sins and he's going to bring us into liberty. And the Bible says that the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And those that are pursuing the kingdom of heaven by the Holy Ghost, I believe that's what they're pursuing. They're pursuing righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. There's a lot of depression and there's a lot of despair in the world. And there's a lot of depression and despair in religion. But I believe that the attitude of Christians should be one of great confidence and great joy and happiness. And I believe that that must go with the gospel that we preach. And so I want to run through a few scriptures with you tonight. And I just, as I said, I, I just pray this will help you be secure in the liberty of Jesus Christ and the joy of Jesus Christ. Not the joy of this season because that passes. But our joy is eternal and it's daily and it's all the time with the Lord. There's a few places in the New Testament where you have that word good cheer. There's a few places in it and I'm going to bring that out to you tonight. But in John 16, he, I want to begin in verse 27. I brought this out to you before, but I want you to see it tonight. Jesus says, for the father himself loves you because you have loved me. And have believed that I came out from God. Now, isn't that wonderful? This is such a critical verse of scripture. But it says the father himself loves you for this reason. You love Jesus and you believe that Jesus has come from the father. Because of that, the father loves you. His love for you is not based upon your perfection. It is not based upon you getting everything right. But God's love is demonstrated to you and God's love is effectual toward you because you love Jesus and you believe that Jesus came from the Father. I pray that you get this because it is very liberating. And Jesus says in verse 28, I came forth from the Father and am coming to the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, Lo, now you speak plainly and speak no proverb. Now are we sure that you know all things and need not that any man should ask you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Jesus answered them, them do you now believe? Behold, the hour comes, yes, is now come, that you shall be scattered every man to his own. 
and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. Isn't that incredible? I mean, if you just read verse 32 with verse 27, here's Jesus making this declaration. The Father himself loves you because you believe, you because you love Jesus and you believe Jesus came from the Father. And then Jesus, knowing these guys, he knows you're all going to abandon me. You're going to forsake me in my time of need. When they come and arrest me, you're going to be so overwhelmed with fear or with confusion or with yourself that you're going to leave me alone. And you would think, man, how could God love people like this? His son in his greatest time of need, forsaken by his disciples. And yet Jesus assures them that the father's love for you is because you believe in me and you love me. And you believe that I came from the Father. And he said, that's the basis of the Father's love for you. And he knows that you're going to fail me. And he knows that you're going to abandon me. But he still loves you. And you need to know that. And I just love that passage of scripture because it is very comforting. Then Jesus says this to the disciples. These things I have spoken unto you. That in me you might have peace. And he wants us to have peace. Because if your peace is in your perfection, then you're not a very peaceful person. And if your peace is in the fact that you are perfect in your love, perfect in your obedience, perfect in your discipline, then you're a miserable person because you know in your heart you're not perfect, right? And so the peace that we have is that we have faith in Jesus Christ and that he's the son of God. And we do love him. And let me tell you something. It is possible to love Jesus Christ. And even at some point in your life. Forsake him or abandon. I'm not talking about recanting your faith. I'm not talking about denying that Jesus is God. I'm not talking about that. But there could just be a situation in your life. Where you just go on with your will. And you're totally contrary to what Jesus wants. Because Jesus said. The father loves you because you love me. And even though you love me, you're going to abandon me in my greatest moment of need. You're going to abandon me, but you do love me. And I just say that to some of you guys, because maybe you think, how could I love God? And the devil will certainly come and do that to you. How can you love God when you did this, when you did that? How can you love God when they were belittling Jesus at work and you didn't speak up for him? How can you possibly love God? But you can. And you were in a moment of weakness. In a moment of temptation. Where you absolutely failed. But Jesus wants you to have peace. Alright. And so he tells us this in verse 33. These things I have spoken unto you. That in me you might have peace. Not in the world. But in him you will have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And there's that phrase, good cheer. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight, of being a people that have good cheer. Because I believe that is an incredible part of gospel ministry and gospel preaching. I believe there has to be a quality in our life that is really infectious about Jesus Christ and the love of God and, and the grace of God and the mercy of God that just really comes out of us and pours. Everybody is practically mean. Everybody's practically cold hearted. 
Everybody seems to be angry. Everybody seems to be bitter. Everybody seems to be stressed out. And, 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 and here comes this person walking down the road that's actually, you know, confident and courageous and joyful and happy. And they've got a gracious demeanor. And, you, and it's like, I, I promise you, people are going to say, whoa, what is, what is going on with this person? I mean, have they been sleeping for the last three years? Do they not know what's been going on? And it's like, no, they have a peace that's in Christ that, and it, and, and it passes all understanding and it's attractive to people. I want to know what this is. I want to understand this. And so that word, good cheer, means to have courage. It means to be confident. And I think it is important that we say be of good cheer. He didn't just say be cheerful, be confident, be courageous, but be have good confidence, have good courage. And I was trying to understand what that meant, you know. And I, I think a little or a lot too much of myself. And I think I'm really good at stuff that I like to play. And I like to think I can beat just about anybody and whatever it is I can play until I went and played Henry in tennis. And it was like, what a joke. Me, I was the joke, you know. But, um, you know, you think you can play basketball really well. You think you're a good shooter and all of this. And, you know, it's just like you can brag about that. And you find these other guys that like to play basketball. Yeah, let's do some two-on-two. Yeah, we're going to put you down. We're going we're gonna to beat you so bad, you know. And you go out there and you just get destroyed. You just get destroyed. I had confidence. I had courage, but it wasn't good. It was humiliating, you know, it was just pride and it was unfounded and it was, it was just ridiculous for me to feel that way. But what if I had a secret weapon and you didn't know it? And what if I was like telling you, Hey, let's play two on two and I, I, we're going to, we're going to just beat you so bad. And, and we're going to, and it doesn't matter who you bring or what you bring, because my secret weapon is Michael Jordan in his prime. You know, and so I don't even have to get on the court. He's going to beat both of you. by. That's good confidence. That's good cheer. That's good courage, because there's somebody that I'm bringing into the game that I would believe is is the best in the world in his heyday. It was he was the best in the world and he could beat any of you guys by himself and probably any three or four of you guys by himself, you know, just that good. And so when I think about this of being good cheer, Jesus is telling me, listen, in me, you're going to have peace. In the world, there's going to be tribulation. I'm not going to lie to you about that. And I want you to understand that your courage and your confidence is not derived from an environment that is just all at peace and it's all well. But the courage and the confidence that you have in your life is you have a secret weapon and that's me. I am with you. I am your confidence. I am your courage. You're going to have tribulation in this world, but guess what? I overcame it. I over, I beat it. I defeated it. I fought it. You've got a secret weapon when hell comes against you. It's Jesus Christ. You've got a secret weapon when sickness comes against you. It is Jesus Christ. You've got a secret weapon when tribulation comes against you. It is Jesus Christ. And you are not alone. Never. You are not forsaken. Ever. Because he's not like us. 
He's going to be there with you and he's going to go through this with you. And so when you think about that, you think about Eradu in the context of Romans chapter 8, that he is able to work everything together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And so whatever it is, whatever the tribulation is, and it confuses me and it hurts me and it stresses me and I worry about it. And I go to God, you know, like I'm, I'm on the boat and the weather's against us and the waves are coming into the boat. And Jesus is sleeping down in the belly of the ship like he doesn't even care. And I, we're about to die, Jesus. I mean, don't you see? And I bring that into a modern day in 2021 and it's Lee's ship and the storms of life are beating against me. And I'm like, hey, God. Do you not see what I'm going through? Do you not understand? And Jesus is like, hey, be of good cheer. Have good confidence. Have good courage. Because I am with you. And I am able to work everything together for good. To those that love me and are called according to my purpose. It is not for you to understand it or for you to even see it. And I don't even have to tell you what I'm going to do. But I will assure you of this. I will use it all to conform you to my image. I will do it. And I will accomplish it. And if that is really the desire of my life, like we were singing tonight in these songs. If that really is my desire, how could I not be happy? How could the confidence and the courage that I have in Jesus Christ not give me a cheerful demeanor, a confident, not out of pride, but just out of assurance that all is well? Like the woman whose son died and she was going to Elisha the prophet and he sends to his servant, that's the woman, that's the Shunammite, go see if she's okay and are you all right? All is well. All is well. And she gets to that man and says, that boy that you prayed for and God gave me his diet. How dare you torment me like this? And he goes and raises the boy back to life. There was confidence in her. There was courage and it was good confidence. It was good cheer because she knew that this God is not a tormenting God. And though her son suffered and her son died and she did not understand the death, she understood this. There is a God in heaven who knows me and loves me. And if I can get to him, it's going to be well. And I'm going to get to him. And so she was joyful in that. And beloved, I just say that to you. I, I believe that we need to have a joyful demeanor, especially in a world that's terrified. In a world that's scared, in a world that does not know what's going on or what's going to be the outcome of something, we have to have this. Here, here are three passages in the New Testament, and, and there's like two more, but I'm just going to read these three that talk about good cheer. And the Bible says this, they brought to Jesus a man sick of the palsy, laying on a bed, and Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the sick of the palsy, son, be of good cheer, be confident, be very courageous. Your sins are forgiven. Wow. Now, if that doesn't make you happy, I don't know what will. Be of good cheer because your sins are forgiven. Beloved, can you be like that? Can you be like that every day? When your world is falling apart, when everything is collapsing in on you and you don't understand it and you don't know where God is... Can you be of good cheer because you know my sins are forgiven? Another passage of scripture, it says, but straightway. And this is when the disciples are on the boat and, and they're going to the other side and it's in the night. 
And Jesus is walking on the water and they say, oh my gosh, look, it's a spirit. And Jesus says right away to them, be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And I think about that and I think about for you, can you not be of good cheer? Because in the midst of your storm, it's not Michael. It's not Gabriel. It's not some cherubim or seraphim or any, it, it is, it is Jesus. It is the I am that is with you. And that gives me good courage and that gives me good confidence because it is the supreme of all supremes. It's the Lord of all lords. It's the omnipotent power of all of the universe that is with me. Be not afraid, Lee. It is I. It is me. It is I am that is with you. And the next one was not spoken by Jesus. But it was spoken by Paul. And Paul said this when he was on the ship that was being beaten by the hurricane. And it would break apart. And all the people were fearing for their life. And Paul said an angel of the Lord stood with me and said we're all safe if we stay on the ship. Paul makes this comment. He says sirs be of good cheer. For I believe God. Be of good cheer for I believe God. And he said this is what he believes. That it will be even as it was told to me. And when I think about those. These four things about being of good cheer. Number one. I have to be of good cheer because Jesus overcame the world. Whatever the tribulation is that I'm fighting right now in my life. Jesus has already overcome it. And the Bible calls me more than a conqueror. And the Bible tells me that I am victorious through Jesus Christ. And I can be of good cheer because, beloved, my sins are forgiven. Regardless of what happens to me, regardless of the troubles in my life, regardless of what ailment might come into my life, my sins are forgiven and all is well between me and God. And I am forever his and he is forever mine. And I might pass through this world with a lot of trouble and a lot of persecution. But I would say as the Apostle Paul that I can be of good cheer. Because I believe it shall be just as it was told to me. That there are streets of gold and gates of pearl. There is the city of God. There's a place with no death, no sickness, no hearse, no hospitals, no graves. There's no gossip. There's no slander. There's no peril. There's no hell. There's no devil. There's no hurricanes. There's no calamities. There's no crisis. Sirs, I believe it. I believe it. And I can be of good cheer. Because it is the I am. Who gave me this. The I am gave me this. And that gives me great confidence. I will never. I will never suffer wrath. I will never go into condemnation with God. Nothing ever that I face has the power to separate me from the love of God. Nothing. His conflict that he fought with this world was for my victory. The tribulations that he went through was to give me victory from my tribulations. And his victory was my victory. 
Beloved, I say to you, you will never have defeat, for all things will work together for your good. You will never have wrath. You will never be at the hands of your enemy. You will never come into judgment. You will not go to hell. You will not be forsaken. You will not have to fight to win, but you will be still and know that the Lord will fight for you. You will not be forgotten. You will not be abandoned. Your abusers will not get away with it. Those who walked out on your life will regret it. Those who gossiped about you will repent. Those who slandered you will be given justice. Those who betrayed you will honor you. And those who hurt you will not win. Because there is a God of justice. That will rule over all of the things of man. And the affairs of man in this life. So I want to go to these two scriptures. In Colossians chapter 2. And then 1 Peter. And I don't intend to be very long with this. My intentions are not always good. But I want you to understand in the book of Acts, when this church was born, it was full of good cheer. It really was. They were continuing in everything that the Holy Spirit had given them, the apostles' doctrine, breaking of bread, fellowships and prayers. They were going about the city praising God and what? Having favor with all men. And the Lord was adding to the church daily. Such as should be saved. These guys in that New Testament church. In Acts chapter 2. There was something so contagious about their life. And people were pressing into the kingdom of God. Every day. What happened? What happened? When did the church, if you will, become unattractive? When did the character or the tone of the church become more stoic and lethargic and rigid and lack freedom and lack liberty and lack joy? And I would just say it was when the philosophers touched it. When the philosophers touched it. And it was no longer really in the hands of the Holy Spirit or people that were just of good cheer because Jesus overcame. And good cheer because my sins are forgiven. Or good cheer because Jesus is with me in the midst of my storms and I can believe God. And I believe it will be just as it was told to me. Or good cheer because it is the I am that was with me. Philosophers got into this. You see this in Colossians chapter 2. And I'm just going to go through a few of these things. Beginning in verse 6, he says, As you've received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk ye in him. You're rooted in your him. You're, you're established in your faith. You've been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. But beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. And that's what happened. They came like that. Educated minds, educated men. Knowing what was right, knowing how to produce what they are thinking they knew how to produce what God wanted. But it was after the tradition of men and after the rudiments of the world and it was not after Christ. In Christ was dwelling the fullness of the Godhead bodily and you are complete in him. Which is the head of all principality and power. Verse 11 is beautiful, in whom, in Jesus, you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. And what was this circumcision? Not your flesh, but it was putting off the body of sin. 
the sin is of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And you are buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who's raised us or who's raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he's quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. He blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against you. You couldn't do it. And he took it out of the way. It was contrary to you. What does that mean? It means that it was impossible for your nature to do it. Even though your nature may have wanted to. It could not do it. And so he took it out of the way. Praise God. That ought to give you good cheer. He nailed it to his cross. And he spoiled principalities and powers. And he made a show of them openly. And he triumphed over them in his cross. So you don't need the philosophers. You don't need the vain deceit. You don't need the traditions of men. You don't need that. Why? Because verse 10, you're complete in him. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? And in him is the fullness of the Godhead bodily and you're complete in him. And he has removed everything that was a hindrance to you. He has done that. He has sacrificed your sinful life on the cross and totally and completely judged it. And now you're free. You're passed from wrath. You've passed from condemnation. You're sons and daughters of God. And you're going to let philosophers come and mess you up and take your joy away and take your liberty and Christ away. Beloved, don't let it happen. So he says in verse 16, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come. But the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you, defraud you of your reward in a voluntary, listen, a voluntary humility. And worshiping of angels, intruding into things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind, or by his fleshly mind. He's not holding the head. He's not holding Jesus. This is not coming from the Lord, in other words, is what Paul's saying. But what comes from the Lord is that which the body by joints and bands nourishes and ministers and knits together and increases with the increase of God. So in verse 20, if you are dead with Christ, remember the circumcision we just read about. If you're dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why? 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 As though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? Touch not. Taste not. Handle not. Which are all to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. That's the philosophies. But listen to these commandments and doctrines of men. Listen, pay very close attention to what they do in verse 23. The commandments and the doctrines of men indeed show wisdom in will worship. Indeed it does. Indeed, it has the appearance of this kind of wisdom of will worship. Indeed, these doctrines of men and their commandments, indeed, they show humility. Indeed. Indeed, these doctrines of men and their commandments neglect the body. 
Indeed they do. Absolutely. There is no honor to satisfying the flesh. You cannot please yourself at all. You can't have any fun. You can't have any enjoyment. And indeed these doctrines and philosophies of men will produce that. And that's what began to touch the church. These doctrines and philosophies of men and the joy went and the liberty went and the freedom went. And the good cheer went because now we were not so so focused upon him that that we love and, and him that overcame the world. But now we're having to overcome this world and no longer just rejoicing and having good cheer and confidence in him who took our sins away. And him who's in the midst of our storms and him who is the I am. But now we're focused upon ourselves and making ourselves worship God and making ourselves to the putting down of the flesh and the putting down of self so that there is absolutely nothing I'm involved in whereby I enjoy any satisfaction because any satisfaction from this world has to be absolutely ungodly. So I can't have fun and I can't enjoy anything and I can't be satisfied with anything because that's holiness. No, that's bondage. And that's what begins to touch the church and that's what takes the joy out of the church. And every day people were not necessarily joining this anymore. Why do I want that? Why do I want to be a part of that? Y'all gossip, you slander, you backbite, you're bitter. I don't need that. I don't need to be a part of that. I've got enough problems in my life. Where's the love and the gentleness and the kindness and the mercy and the beauty? It's kind of a Gnostic type of doctrine, you know, where if you're going to be holy, there's nothing in this world that can give you pleasure. Because there's nothing in this world that is of God. It is corrupt and evil. The last scripture we're going to read, well, maybe two more, but. First Timothy, first Peter three. And I love this scripture. If I could just come to it with you. And again, I just want to encourage you to be free. I want to encourage you to love the Lord. And Peter gives us some really beautiful information here. He says in verse 10, for he that will love life. First Peter three ten. he that will love life. How many of you want to love the life you're living it's a good thing in regards to what Peter's saying. If you want to have a, a good life, a life you love, and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil, hate it, and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Let us never forget that and always know that we're by no means advocating evil because you get some pleasure out of it. Okay, if you're if you're picking that up, you're just like way off. We're not advocating sin. All right. And so he says in verse 13, and who is he that will harm you? If you be followers of that which is good. But because there will be some. And if you suffer for righteousness sake. Happy are you. Be not afraid of their terror. Neither be troubled. Now listen to this. This is beautiful. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. 
And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And that is really beautiful. Having a good conscience, whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. So people may, be, people may speak evil of you, but let your lifestyle in Jesus Christ prove them false and you true. And so when you're persecuted for suffering for the cause of Jesus Christ, be happy. Be happy. Be joyful. In other words, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. The I am is with you. It shall be, just as he said, a heaven, a throne, a myriad of angels and God that you shall be with forever and ever and ever. But I want to go back to verse 15. And he says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And if I can, I want to go to chapter 4. And I want you to see this with me in verse 3. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have brought the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. We don't do that anymore, right? Not by the power of religion, but by the power of a new life. We don't do that anymore. We're free from that. But verse 4 says this, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. So would you allow me to do this? Verse 15 of chapter 3, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you. With meekness and fear. Chapter 4 verse 4. Wherein they think it strange. That you run not with them. To the same excess of riot. Speaking evil of you. And so. I, pr I present this to you. Because that word think it strange. That you don't run to the same excess of riot. It, it means astonished. Full of wonder. Perplexity. Because you used to run in that. You used to. You, in the times when we were in that lifestyle of the Gentiles and the excess of wine and the lasciviousness and the revelries and the abominations, that was it. But now we're no longer doing that. And we're trying to tell people why we're not doing that. We're trying to tell them why we're not doing it. We're trying to tell them why that's bad. We're trying to tell them that the wrath of God is, a, is, a, is against that. And that's great. We need to tell that. But my question is this. Please listen to this. How many people have come up to you without you going up to them and say, you know, I've been watching you. And I'm astonished. At how different you are. And I would like if you would. To tell me about this hope. That is inside of you. 
Isn't that what Peter said they would do? That people would literally approach you. Because of the quality of your life. The good cheer of your life. The demeanor of Christ in your life. That people would literally approach you. Without. They cannot deny. This hope. That every time they're around you. They see it. And it astounds me. I don't have that. I don't know that. I watch people persecute you and you're happy. Why are you happy? I watch people call you an evildoer. And when most people would get mad or get sad, you just light up and, and you just, you're just happy in that. I'm a, I don't understand you. Tell me what this hope is inside of you. And wouldn't you love it that this season... When you're with your families and you're with your friends. That you can give a portrayal of Christianity, a portrayal of Jesus that is absolutely attractive. The gospel message is attractive. There is no doubt whatsoever. It is beautiful. And the gospel message is powerful. But the Apostle Paul said that when he preached the gospel, it was not so much a verbal message, but he said, I demonstrated Christ crucified among you. I demonstrated. You saw that in him. And what was the effect? What was the effect of a man living what Peter just talked about? The effect was this. When, Paul, when Paul's eyes were starting to fail him, the people that he had been ministering to, if they could have, they would have literally pulled their own eyes out to give it to him. That man was so unique, he was so beautiful, he was so attractive, he was so appealing that the people would have given their own selves for his benefit. As a matter of fact, when he had spent about three years in Ephesus and he was about to sail away and leave them, not knowing if he would ever see them again, they all gathered on the beach and they wept for this man. They wept for him. And wouldn't it be great if you could enjoy life with Jesus Christ, wouldn't it be great if you could be happy? That's not a bad word in Christianity, to be happy, to be joyful, to have a good time, to be fun, you know, not to be the bore, not to be that, quote, religious stoic. Oh, my gosh, you know, well, there goes all the fun because so and so just showed up. You know, and, and now it's just going to be like everybody's going to be walking on eggshells because as soon as we do something, they're just, it's just going to be terrible. But, but people that just come in, and even, even if you're in the midst of sin, that's not where you find your enjoyment, and you're not going to enter into that. But you have found something that is so much more satisfying that those people who are wasting their lives on miserable pleasures will finally say, I've had enough of this. I need to know what you got. I need to know what you have. Because you have a joy I've never seen. You have a joy like nobody else in our family. You're happy. You're, you're, you're just pleasant to be around. You're caring and you love us and everything. And I just like, I just want to know this Christ. Now I'm going to say something that's just not really natural for us. But I believe it's the supernatural. I believe it's the anointing of the Lord. And I'm going to stop right there.
I was going to read a passage out of Zechariah chapter 8. But I'll just tell you this. It says this when when um, the Lord says, when I restore Jerusalem and I put my name in Jerusalem and I surround Jerusalem with my throne and my glory, the old men will sit out in the streets leaning on their canes and the children will run and play through the streets and this will glorify me. And I just think that's beautiful. That, that people who are living in safety under God are joyful and they're pleasant and they're happy. Even if there's persecution, our joy is not dependent on the lack of persecution. But actually, if you read this like he's talking about, your joy actually increases when there's persecution. Because the manifestation of his presence. I just, I, I, I just want to give this to you because you're going into Thanksgiving next week. And then you're going into the Christmas season. Be a light. By more than just what you say you believe. But let your life be attractive. Let your demeanor be attractive. Live in such a way that people would literally come up to you and say. Can I talk to you for a little while? I've had a hard year. I'm looking at the world. I'm thinking it might be coming to an end. I know you're a Christian. What does the Bible say about this? Wouldn't it be wonderful people just approach you like that? Want to know about Jesus? And I just encourage you to do that. So let's just pray. And um, and we're just going to take a moment to worship tonight. But can I ask you to do this? You know what's coming up. You know where you're going. You know the people you're going to be around whether it's family reunions or it's going to be family time or office parties or whatever it might be. And you know what's coming up. And could you begin now just to pray, God, I want to have the demeanor of Jesus. And I want to have an attractive witness for Christ in my life. I want, I want to celebrate the joy of your kingdom. I want to pursue the righteousness and peace and joy of the Holy Ghost. I want people to see that. See how you've affected me. I want people to be astonished with my life. People aren't surprised that people of religion stop drinking. People aren't surprised that people of religion stop going to movies. People are really surprised when other people have found a treasure that has become altogether lovely to them. And Jesus, you're that treasure for us. And I just want people to ask me about my treasure. To ask me about my hope. And I pray, God, that you would bless us in this harvest. Because I say this to you, my, my, my dear friends. It could be the last Thanksgiving and Christmas you have before Jesus comes. Let it be a good one. Let it be a good one. Celebrate your Lord. Celebrate Him. Rejoice in Him. Be glad. For in Him, you have peace.